Here we go. It says this, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Y'all want to have fun today? Look at somebody next to you and tell them I used to be dead. They don't they, they didn't even believe you. Look at the person that's like, tell them I used to be dead. Come on, just prophesy. Somebody, tell somebody, but Jesus raised me back to life. Come on, tell somebody. Can anybody testify that Jesus has raised you? A lot of people don't understand the gospel. And the gospel is not that Jesus made bad people good. The gospel is that Jesus made dead people alive. Come on now. And that's just verse 1. Verse 2. There they had made him a supper, and Martha served as always. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Somebody say, then Mary. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, they blamed Judas's dad for why he was so dysfunctional. <laughs> they said, just in case you're wondering whose fault this was, it was Simon's fault. Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he was in charge of the offering. Well, I said he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always. But me, you do not have me always. Father God, we are at awe and grateful in this moment to be here in your presence. God, we couldn't think of a better place to be. And it's kind of mind-blowing, the idea that we get to be in the presence of Almighty God. I mean, there's so many important people that we couldn't get an audience with, but we can get an audience with you. Because you said wherever two of us are gathered, that's where you'll be. So God, you're in this room right now. God, you're in BWI, you're in Baltimore County, and you're in flowers, God. You're in the kitchen in that living room. And God, you're here to speak, to heal, to comfort, to reveal, to empower, to strengthen, to give joy and peace and hope that does not disappoint. And God, we pray in this moment that you'd meet us where we are, each and every one of us. God, we're making the decision that when you speak, God, we will obey. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, Union Church. Somebody say amen. amen. That was weak. Somebody say amen. amen. And amen and amen. I am, I'm pumped, I'm pumped, I'm pumped. We've been in this, it sounds like y'all are pumped with me, which is all the way fun, all 
really exciting. We've been in this season, not even a series, but this season that we've called Limitless over the last four weeks. And if you're new to Union Church, man, you could not have picked a better time and a better season uh, to attend Union Church. Let me, let me just warn you about the church that you're attending, the church that you're a member of, the church that you're with this morning. And, and you got to understand kind of just the DNA of this house. It is our goal to make you uncomfortable. It's actually my spiritual gift. God, God has anointed me with the, the gift of discomfort. And, and, and I say it all the time. I've been saying it for, for years now. Our goal is that it feels like family. So we don't want you to feel like an outsider. We don't want to feel ostracized. We, we don't want to feel like it's an inside club and that you don't fit. But, but after you come in, it, it, it's kind of like a sneak attack. I'm not going to lie to you. We come, we, we wave at you in the parking lot. We're all nice to you and all that other good stuff. And we're honored that you're here. We believe God's best for your life and all that. And we, you know, we put you through growth track. and We baptize you and take pictures and, and all that other good stuff. But, but eventually, it's going to get to the place where we kind of just nudge you and say, when's the last time you took a risk for Jesus? When's the last time you weren't playing life safe? When's the last time you actually believed that God had more for you than you could ever ask, think, or imagine, and you actually dared to believe him to do miraculous works in your life? I believe the best Christian life is not a safe Christian life. The best Christian life is a walk of faith. The Bible, by the way, says we live by faith. Come on, VWI. We live by faith and not by sight. Miss Ruth, I'm just having fun today. Is that okay? Can I talk about Stephen, then I'll mess with y'all later? There's the Bible that Stephen knows, and then there's the Bible that Stephen lives. I'm talking about you, but I just use my name. And my goal between now and when I go to see Jesus is to close the gap. That there's not as large a chasm. Because here, here, here's what we know. We know that we serve creator God. We know that we serve a God that calls things that are not as though they are, that looks at dead things and calls them alive. We know we serve a God that has called us for a purpose and a plan, a hope and a future. But the way that we risk, come on now, the way that we live, the way that we play it safe, oftentimes is not in alignment with the God that we say that we serve. Come on now. The Bible says, never have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. But the way that we respond to 11% of inflation. Come on now. Or gas prices that are $4.99. I remember when I first started driving, it was $2.15. More than double. Come on now. My prayer is, God, help me, help me to live what I believe. Help me to live what I've memorized. Help me to see your word become flesh in my life. And, and this is just the church that's going to push you to a place of, I know you can memorize the Bible, and I know you can quote the Bible, but are you living it? Come on now. And not just living holy. Oh, stop sinning. Okay, there's more to God than that. Are you living by faith? A few months ago, God came to me and said, Stephen, I have now accomplished every dream that you ever had on your heart. Y'all, it's pretty scary to be 35 and to be out of dreams. 
doesn't mean I'm not a dreamer. It just means my dreams were according to my own ability and not God's ability. And it's amazing how many of us are in that position where we dream according to our degree. Okay, can I, I we're just going to have fun today. Is that okay? Most people's dreams are one step above their parents. Whatever my parents were able to accomplish, God, I just want one step beyond that. And that's great for me. And it may be great for you, but it's not indicative of the God that lives inside of you where he wants to do something through your life that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive. So, so we're in a season of let's take the limits off of God. Let's stop praying prayers of God. If you only could, and oh, it would be so nice. And if it's not a bother, but if we could pray according to Psalm 2, do you not know? that you are a child of the most high God. Ask of me of the nations, and I will give them to you as an inheritance. Somebody say, take the limits off. If you were born in the 90s, you're about to start singing Israel Houghton right now, but I can't release me, enlarge my territory. Y'all know I used to be the worship leader, right? But then I got kicked off the worship team because they said I couldn't sing, so they just let me preach. And, Y'all should be grateful I don't lead worship anymore because I'm not that great. But we've been in this season called Limitless. And the whole idea is as a church and then as individuals, we're, we're actually stepping into the place where believing God is God. And that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And we're going to respond to his voice and not to our fears. We announced just a few weeks ago that I always thought Union Church would be a DMV church, but through the sovereignty of God, we are launching Union Church, North Carolina. I feel like a Petey Pablo just anoints and just North Carolina stand up, take your shirt off, throw it on your head like a helicopter. No, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. <laughs> Somebody said, Pastor. We know exactly when you got saved because all the ratchet music you referenced comes from one era. <laughs> Reunion Charlotte is coming, Pastor Brian and Pastor Karen. My goodness. They have been online Zoom calls with literally hundreds of people that have responded and said, we want to be a part of Union. You'd be surprised how many people leave Maryland and move to Charlotte. It is unbelievable. By the way, if you're in the area, Charlotte, text Union CLT to 97000, and we will reach out to you, and you can be a part of that. And then we talked about Union headquarters that we are getting ready to build in the Bowie area. Come on. I love when they do it. Leave it just like that. It makes me look like I'm standing in the building. I'm literally in the lobby right now but launching the next location. And, and hear me, God is getting ready to do through this church above and beyond anything that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. In the last 12 months alone, we have seen 2,903 people make a decision to surrender their life to Jesus. Hundreds of people have been water baptized over $1.3 million given away to outreach and world missions and planting churches and transforming lives. And this is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. 
And we get to play a part. We've been praying over the last three weeks of how God would have each of us give financially. It's a $15 million investment to begin to hit this first domino over to launch Charlotte, to see the building completed in the next location and all that other good stuff. Somebody say, I've been praying. Pastor, it's my first Sunday here. I didn't know we were praying about this. Well, you got 16 minutes and 44 seconds to hear from God. <laughs> no pressure. But we've been praying, saying, God, how would you have us respond? How would you have us play a part? Actually, last night, we gathered together for Limitless First. We brought together a few hundreds of the leaders here at Union Church, the staff and our connect group hosts and our dream team coordinators and directors because it's a biblical principle that the leaders must go first. So he said, Pastor, only last two weeks, you've been really bold in asking people to give money and sacrifice and serve and all that kind of stuff. Why have you been so bold? And I said, I've been so bold because me and my wife are sacrificing. And when, when you sacrifice and you hurting, you don't got no problem telling people, y'all about to hurt with us. If we going to hurt, y'all going to hurt with us because we're going to do this together type of deal. And all of the leaders came together yesterday and it was mind-blowing. Watch this. It was less than 10% of the church that gathered last night and gave first. And they've already covered 33% of what is needed. Come on now. Somebody say, I got the rest. They said, hey, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to go first, just like in First Chronicles chapter 29. David went first, and all the leaders followed, and then the church said, hey, we can follow leaders that will sacrifice. We are behind you. Y'all, this is a season to sacrifice. And I say this without any humor out any loud. This is a season to write that seven-figure check. This is a season to delay. This is a season to go over and beyond because lives will be transformed and you will see the goodness of God in your life like never before. So I say it unashamedly. I'm going to teach you how to do it in 14 minutes and then we're going to be done. This needs to be the most sacrificial offering that you've ever given in your life. The, the, you, life should have to rearrange as a result of what you're about to do and how you're about to respond to God. And when it comes to a sacrificial offering, there really is only one way to give a sacrificial offering. And it's why we've given you four weeks to pray about it, because you can't give it out of manipulation. You can't give it out of guilt. You can't give it out of the pastor made me feel bad, so now I need to respond. You can't give it out of math calculations and, okay, well, if I do this and everybody else does this, blah, blah, you know, there's only one way that you can give a sacrificial offering and it truly be a sacrificial offering. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? I can't give you the answer that easy. It's no fun that way. John chapter 12, we come across probably one of the most sacrificial offerings ever given in scripture and one of the most awkward encounters that you will ever find in scripture. It's seven days before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus literally knows that I am getting ready to go to the cross to, to be beaten and bruised and, and to give my life so that all of humanity can live. And before he goes, he returns to the house of Lazarus. Y'all, it was a different time coming back the second time. See, the first time he was there, Lazarus wasn't. Lazarus had felt ill. He had passed away. He had died. The Bible said that Jesus intentionally delayed his visit three days. Could, could you imagine telling Jesus to come and he said, I'll get there when I get there? 
And, and he did it on purpose because he knew that if he had gotten there the day that he got sick or even the day that he had died, that they would have been able to say it wasn't the miraculous hand of God. Maybe we just misinterpreted his heartbeat. Maybe it was a mistake, but he waited three days until Lazarus was good and dead. Somebody say good and dead. He wasn't just dead. He was dead, dead. And on that fourth day, he raised him back to life. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Jesus returned right before his crucifixion. And they're, they're, they're sitting on the floor, as would have been the Jewish custom, with a, a low table and cushions. And, and here's Martha just cooking. And as always, she's complaining. Here, I was cooking this beef stew and rice and, and chickpeas. And, and you, you didn't know Jesus was Caribbean, did you? But his fried planting and... <laughs> Apple turnovers, and I mean, she was going in for Jesus, and, and Mary was nowhere to be found, as always. The next thing you know, Mary comes out of the back room, and she has a jar of perfume that she pours the entire jar, not on, 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 on Jesus' head, not, 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 not on his neck, not a, on his feet. You, you got to understand, in, in, in those days, they, they wore them little Jesus slippers. You know what I mean? The, the one where your toes are out. And if you didn't get a pedicure, we all know. That's what they were wearing. And, 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 and kicking up dust road, his feet would have been filthy. She takes this jar of oil. And, and I did a little bit of research just for y'all, because I know y'all all educated and all that other good stuff. And you're impressed when I actually do research on Wikipedia. But anyway... <laughs> Judas later tells us that the oil was worth 300 denarii. 100 denarii is four months' wages. 300 denarii is an entire year's. Take one moment and think about what you made last year. And that's what she poured on his feet. Now, I'm getting trouble, Sheldon, but that's okay. There's some women in this room. That pouring out a year's salary is not what bothers you. It's the next part. You expect me to take these bundles and wipe those feet. You know, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we miss the culture of awkwardness. Y'all, this was not normal. It wasn't average. It wasn't done before. Homegirl takes, and I did a little research, you know, average salary in Maryland for a person is $47,000. She took $47,000 worth of, first of all, y'all, she was balling. Like, what was that? That had to be like Hermes or Tom Ford or something. Like, who has $47,000 worth of perfume? And she pours it on his feet. I mean, how long was her hair? Cameraman, here we go. And she, I mean, she had to have gotten low for her hair to reach his feet. Could you imagine how they were talking? Could you imagine how they were watching? The murmurs, the what in the world is going on? But leave it to Judas. Somebody say, leave it to Judas. Everybody is thinking this is weird. Judas says it out loud. But he doesn't just say this is weird. He said this is wrong. 
He said, this is not sacrifice, this is wastage. He said, do you not understand that we could have taken that, if you just wanted to throw perfume away, come on, anybody, if you have $47,000 to show, throw away, I've got a good cause. <laughs> you can use that $47,000 to feed hungry children. My three hungry children. <laughs> Judas is like, you could have used this to, to at least give it to the poor. And the Bible goes on to tell us that, 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 that he didn't actually care anything about the poor. That he was actually a thief and he was stealing money out of the offering basket. He's like, man, that's money I could have stolen. And here's what really got weird. It's not that he rebuked just her sacrifice, but he actually rebuked Jesus as well. He's like, Jesus, how could you let this happen? Under your watch, you're letting people be wasteful. There's a thin line between waste and sacrifice. And the only demarcation between that line is your heart. Write this down. I'm going to be nice to y'all. Last night when I was going through my notes, point number one was not nice. Last night, point number one was there's Judas in all of us. But I figured that's not nice, and it's Commitment Sunday, and I don't want to offend nobody, so I'm not going to say it. So here's point number one. Instead, self-preservation, Judas, will paint it as extreme. Self-preservation will make sacrifice look like waste. Self-preservation will make sacrifice look like wastage. Can I just say it plain? There's a little bit of Judas in all of us. And, and, and nobody wants to admit the fact there's a little bit of Judas in all of us, because, I mean, come on, in our opinion, Judas is the worst of the worst of the worst. Who in their right mind would betray Jesus and not only betray him, but betray him with a kiss? Like, I mean, if you're going to sell me out, slap me, okay? Punch me in the face, cuss me out. Don't kiss me like we're friends. And sell me out. But the reality is, in all of our sinful nature, look at somebody next to you, just prophesied to that. Say, so you got a little Judas in you. Come on, tell them, tell them. I can see it in your eye. There's a little, there's just a little. And, and, and here's what Judas is Judas is someone that was hedging his bets. Judas was following Jesus just in case Jesus blew up. Come on now. If he really is the king of kings and the lord of lords, I don't want to get on his bad side. And from what I hear, he's getting ready to overthrow Caesar. So I think he can take me somewhere. So I'm going to just make sure I stick around with him. But just in case it don't work out. Come on now. Let me make sure I just keep some of this money for myself. Somebody say, just preach it plain. If the source of my Christianity is what Jesus can do for me. If the source of my Christianity is where Jesus can get me. And here's the problem. He can get you somewhere. And he has plans and, and miracles for your life and open doors. And he wants to expand your business. And he wants to heal your body. And, and he wants to bring a spouse into your life and, and give you children. He wants to bless you. But if that's why you're with him. The Bible says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his. Hey, can we never make the benefit 
the purpose for us following him. Because the second that the benefits become our motivation, there's Judas. Inside. One day I'm going to preach a whole message about Judas. And I've got time to. But can I tell you one thing about Judas? The biggest issue with Judas, and oftentimes the biggest issue with ourselves, is that Judas wouldn't forgive himself of what Jesus would have forgiven him of. How do I know that there's Jesus, uh, there's Judas in me? There's Jesus in you too, but how do I know that there's Judas in me? Because you're still guilty about things that Jesus has forgiven you of. And you're still ashamed of things that the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, he has already removed it from your past. How do you know? Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looked at his murderers and said to his murderers, Father, forgive them. If Jesus forgave his murderers, what would he have done for his betrayer? But before Jesus even had an opportunity to forgive Judas, Judas condemned himself. And watch this. When I'm ashamed of my past and I haven't forgiven myself, I will always be critical of somebody else. Because I always hold somebody else to the standard of perfection that I hold myself to. So here is Judas in one of the most sacrificial offering moments in all of Scripture. And the only thing that he could think of was to condemn it because he was condemned himself. And I know that I'm in a Judas position when I'm thinking, can I, how? Just be Stephen, right? When God tells me to give an offering and the first thing I think about is, so how am I going to provide for my family after? So what about my needs? What about my plans? What about my goals? Somebody say self-preservation. Our hearts need not to be Judas. Our heart need to be Paul. Where Paul said, I'm going to let go of everything I've accomplished. I'm going to get rid of everything behind me. Why? Because I press forwards. Philippians 3.12. He said, not that I've already grasped all that I've had or already become. Paul said, I'm not trying to hold on to this life, but I press on as if I may also take hold of that for which I was taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul said, here's how we need to live. Not trying to hold on to what we have, but letting go of what we have. Watch this. So I could take hold of the purpose that God has for me. I know you've accomplished great things in your life, but can I encourage you without putting you down? You ain't seen nothing yet. Boo, 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 bye. What God has in front of you is so much greater than what he has behind you. But as long as we're trying to hold on, not knowing what's coming next, you'll never be able to give sacrifice. Second thing is this. A heart of gratitude will make sacrifice look minimal. Self-preservation will make it look like wastage, BWI, but a heart of gratitude. This is a heart of gratitude. I wish I could give more. I wish I could serve more. I wish I could do more. Like here, I don't, I, what was going through Mary's head? I, I could just imagine Jesus is in her house and she's in a room like, what can I do? What do I have got? I don't think she planned a perfume thing. I, I don't think it was a, hey, when Jesus comes, y'all, I'm just telling you right now, I've been setting this perfume aside. This is, 
Make sense? I'm stretching a little bit, so if you don't want to go here with me, you don't have to. I think the perfume was part of her dowry. I think she was saving this up for her wedding and for starting her family and all. I don't think she was thinking anything about giving this to Jesus. But something hit her when he walked into the room. I think she actually got a little, fr what, what can I do to, sh I know, the perfume. What would drive somebody to give so sacrificially like this? I, I, I made sure that I did my research because, you know, I know how you people are, all you internet theologians, y'all be DMing me and stuff. DM your mama, leave me alone. But anyway, <laughs> take that off of YouTube. There, this happened multiple times. It's in all of the Gospels, hear me, but it wasn't the same woman in all of the Gospels. And a lot of people can mistakenly think that this is the one story that is played through all of the Gospels. It's not. There were multiple women who took jars of oil and one woman poured it on Jesus' head. There's another woman who she wiped his feet with her tears and then wiped it with her hair. And about one of those women, here's what Jesus said. He said, therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. In the other story, they were complaining, how would this woman wash Jesus? And this was a sinful woman. And they said, if Jesus only knew who was touching him, he would not let such a sinful woman touch him. And Jesus went off. I love when he is like the, you know, bring all the little children to me, Jesus, and the, let the lambs come to me. I love go off Jesus more than I love little children, Jesus. I love braid a whip, Jesus, more than I love, oh, bless you, Jesus. Jesus went off. He said, it is only customary that when somebody comes to your house, you give them a bowl to wash their feet and you give them lotion because we ashy out in these streets. Jesus looked at that Pharisee. He said, from the moment I walked into your house, you never gave me anything to wash my feet. You never gave me lotion for my face because you think that you deserve me in your life. And from the moment this woman walked through the doors, she has not stopped wiping my feet with her hair. Why? Because she knows that she doesn't deserve the forgiveness of God. She doesn't deserve the grace of God. She doesn't deserve the mercy of God. She doesn't deserve the love of God. But yet she has received my love and she's just responding with the overwhelming gratitude of God. I don't deserve to know you. But yet it's your grace and your mercy that has forgiven me. Sonia, I may not do this any other service. We live in a culture where we don't want people to feel bad. So we talk about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God. Don't feel bad about your sin. It's no big deal. Don't feel bad. God, he died on the cross for your sin. You're not that bad. You're not that ratchet. You're not that twisted. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Which is true. Somebody say it's true. Somebody say it is true. Somebody say it's really true. 
but if I don't understand how unlovable I am, I'll never really be grateful for the love of God. If I think I deserve his forgiveness, I'll never be grateful for his forgiveness. If I think I deserve God's attention, I'll never be grateful for his attention. But when I get a revelation that I was dead in my sin, I was broken, I was rejected, I was ignored, but God, out of billions of people, say, I desire to call you, to, to use you, to forgive you, to free you from that addiction, to free you from that pain, to free you from that shame. I desire to use you, even though you've been counted out, even though you've been ignored, even though you've messed up over and over and over again, even though you prayed the sinner's prayer and you went right back to being ratchet right after. And when I realized that I am who I am by the grace of God, here's what her offering was. It was an example of her love and gratitude to God. Y'all, that's the only way we're going to be able to give sacrificially. The only way you give sacrificially is if it's a response to what God's done in your life. If it's an indication of God, this is how grateful I am for the fact that you saved me, that you healed me, that you delivered me, that you actually are daring to use me. When I, I'm just talking about Stephen. You can talk about yourself. I give him 15 good reasons why not to use me. And yet he said, no, I got one good reason why I can. Because I made you in my image. Because I love you. Because I have a purpose and a plan for your life. I was sitting with my wife last night and we were coming down to the final, what are we going to give? And here's the question that came in my heart. Does this number show how grateful I am to God for what he has done in my life? I'm trying to send a message to God and no one else. God, I know I shouldn't be used by you, but God, I'm grateful. Last thing is this, write this down. A heart for the kingdom will make sacrifice eternal. A heart for the kingdom will make sacrifice eternal. A few weeks back, I talked about how God led me to give a car away. I've actually given three cars away. It's just God trying to just move it in my heart and give in, and it's been great. I mean, I do this any other service. Can, y'all ready? You know they totaled that car? Why are you laughing? That ain't funny. Not one car gave away. All three totaled. When you give to another person, you watch to see what they're going to do with it. Because you were never given to the Lord. You're only giving because you felt bad. And now you, come on, don't lie to me. You ever loan somebody some money? And then you saw them out eating at a restaurant? And you're like, oh, you got money for Ruth's Chris, but you can't pay me back? That wasn't given unto the Lord. Let's just be, let's just call a spade a spade. You gave to them. You didn't give unto God. If your sacrifice is going to have, is going to be sacrificial, I'm going to get in trouble. Because we got to build a building. We got to launch Charlotte. Like, let's call it spade to spade. We got stuff to do, people. 
But this offering can't just be to build a building. This got to be unto the Lord. And this got to be because I'm trying to make a shift in eternity. It's going to get awkward, then we're going to pray, we're going to give, it's going to be great. Judas makes a good point. We could have sold this money or this perfume, and, and this could have helped poor people. Now, we know he's a thief, but he still had a point. We, a year's salary, do you know how many homeless people we could have clothed? How many hungry people we could have fed? How many hurting people we could have ministered to? And then Jesus responds. You don't understand how awkward Jesus is. He responds. If, if, I was talking, my wife, if Jesus was a pastor today, he would have got canceled for this one statement. You will always have poor people. He literally said, poor people will always be here. I won't. Now, any one verse from Jesus is always taken out of context. Did Jesus hate the poor? Absolutely not. Because he said, if you want to take care of me, take care of the poor. He said, what you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, as long as you are serving the poor, you're helping the need and not the problem. He said, if you really want to help the poor, find out why they're poor. He said, can I tell you why they're poor? He said, they're poor because we live in a broken earth. They're poor because we live under the curse of sin. That's why there's cancer and diabetes and, and sickness. and It's because this is not the world that God created it to be. God said, you can do one of two things. You can either keep addressing the need and there will always be need. Or you can go to the source of the solution, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified, that through his shed blood, the curse of sin and the curse of poverty and the curse of cancer and the curse of brokenness will be broken forever. And he said, here's what Mary did. She prepared me for my death. Because Mary, not even realizing, understood that my death was the solution, the hope for all of humanity. Here's why I'm giving sacrificially. Because I know in this house, poverty will be broken. In this house, addiction will be broken. In this house, marriages will be restored. In this house, suicide will break off of people's life. Depression and anxiety and fear and insecurity by the resurrection power of Jesus. Why am I giving sacrificially? I'm going to get in trouble. I ain't going to do this any other, sir. Why am I giving to the house of God and not to my university or this club or this organization? Because this is the only place that has the resurrection power of God that is able to take dead people and make them alive, broken people and make them whole, lost people and make them found. And here's what Jesus said. He said, because of this sacrifice, her story will be told throughout all of history. And here we are 2,000 years later. Talking about some woman who gave a sacrificial offering. Because she didn't give it out of self-preservation. She gave it out of gratitude of what God had done in her life. And saying, God, I want to make a real difference, not just here on earth, but in eternity. Here's what's going to happen today. As we give, 
This offering is not going to last three years. It's not going to last 30 years. Eternity. Y'all, the first Sunday of Charlotte's church, January 29th, when hundreds of people walked through those doors, and somebody who literally was thinking about taking their life and said, I'm going to give God one more chance. And they run into the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's because you sacrificed. And I'm making this up, so this may not be true, but I think it is. I think when you get to heaven, they're going to find you. And they're going to say thank you. Because the same way that Jesus died for me, when I wasn't thinking about him. You sacrificed for my eternity when I didn't even know that you existed. Thank you. Right where you are, bow your head, close your eyes. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful that we get an opportunity. God, to show you how grateful we are that you've forgiven us, that you've loved us, that you've healed us, that you've transformed us. God, we're grateful that we get to play a part in eternity. Right where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. I say this every week, and this week is no different. Before we even talk about an offering, the greatest thing and the most important thing that you have is your heart. My question to you is, have you given your heart to God? Maybe you're in here, and if you'd be honest, you believe in church. You just don't have a relationship with the God of the church. Ouch. Maybe you're like Judas, and you're hedging your bets. You're doing your own thing, but hey, I better stay close to Jesus just in case that matters. But if you would be honest, you would say, Pastor, I can't say that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Man, if that's you, if that's where you find yourself, the greatest offering you can give today is returning back to God your life that he purchased with his blood on the cross. Wherever you find yourself, you say, Pastor, that's me. I can't say that I belong to Jesus. I can't say that he's my friend, my Lord, my Savior, but I want him to be right where you are. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that when I wasn't even thinking about you, you were thinking about me. You died on the cross. You shed your blood so that I wouldn't have to. Thank you for erasing my sin. Forgive me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person?